This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to The Drill Down with business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today, September 30th, is episode 107. Well, just ahead, a struggling electric vehicle maker shakes up to its executive ranks again. And a global chip shortage has CarMax seeing record sales, higher prices, and less profits per car. What's the matter? And semiconductor giant AMD navigating the global chip shortage is not the company you once thought it was. We're going to hear that from Huntington National Bank's David Klink. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. Hey, we know so many of you are listening to the Drill Down podcast every day. We'd love to hear how and when. Maybe it's on your commute. Maybe it's when you're walking the dog. Maybe it's when you're working out. We'd love to hear how you are enjoying the Drill Down podcast. So tell us on Twitter at Drill Down Pod. And the Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks in a move, and we've got news from executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the three most important developments in the world of business today? Corey, let's start with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Secretary Yellen says the statutory debt limit should be abolished. Yellen says the borrowing cap is, quote, destructive and poses unnecessary risk to the economy, and a failure to raise or suspend the debt limit would be, quote, catastrophic for the economy. Today, Congress did pass legislation extending government spending through December 3rd. Couldn't agree more. It's a stupid politics and it's bad for the economy. Yep, overall. Now let's move on to activist investors, including Starboard Value and Elliott Management, have taken stakes in Willis Towers Watson. Now this is according to the Wall Street Journal. The paper says the activist presence underscores the pressure Willis Towers and its incoming chief executive are under pressure to improve its results as a standalone company. Now with a market value of about $30 billion, Willis Towers is among the world's largest firms that help companies buy insurance and advise them on risk management. And finally, on Capitol Hill, the House Judiciary Committee approved a bill that would end a federal ban on marijuana. The bill called the Moore Act was originally, was originally approved in a full House vote in December 2020, becoming the first bill to end federal prohibition to pass in either chamber. A companion bill in the Senate did not receive a hearing before the end of the session. Now, this current legislation that passed the House Judiciary Committee today must be considered or waived by several more committees of jurisdiction before it can be brought up for another floor vote. At the same time, though, Senator Chuck Schumer of New York said that he has reached agreement with Senate colleagues that a banking reform bill impacting cannabis companies will not advance before marijuana legislation. 
Now, Schumer made this, these comments on the podcast Psychoactive. Yeah, so let's let's set this up for a second here. So there was a, uh, without a voice vote, there was a, an amendment that would have been part of this uh, upcoming bill, the infrastructure bill, that would have just allowed for safe banking for cannabis companies. It was widely hailed across the industry. Now Schumer is saying, we're not going to let that pass because it'll keep a different, wider uh, marijuana bill from passing because the SAFE Act is so popular. So people in the cannabis industry are like, you know, are, are crazy about these comments that say, we finally got this SAFE bill passed so we can actually have real banking for this industry. And now they're going to not actually press it into law with hopes of getting a bigger marijuana bill. Maybe perfect is the enemy of the good here, if you think the SAFE Act is good. Here's what Schumer had to say exactly on that podcast today. Senators Booker, Wyden, and I have come to agreement that if we let this bill out, it'll make it much harder and take longer to pass comprehensive reform. We certainly want the provisions similar to the Safe Banking Act in our bill. But to get more moderate people, to get some Republicans, to get the financial services industry behind a comprehensive bill is the way to go. It's the right thing to do is, is comprehensive reform. That's what we believe in. All the pain that's been suffered by so many people for so long will not be alleviated because banks can now do some funding of uh, the growing and processing of marijuana. And so we think that the quickest way to get it all done is do it together. If you let just the banking provisions pass, it'll make it much harder to get more Republicans and more conservatives on the bill. We're trying to create a coalition for comprehensive reform. I mean, we'll see. I, I, there's such a desperate need for legal banking in this, in this industry. Um, it, it has drug dealers and drug dealers. It has, it has criminals poaching on legal businesses because they literally can't take their cash receipts and put them in a bank and they're walking around the streets with backpacks and security guards. It's, it's just a crazy situation for businesses legal in many states. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with CarMax. CarMax trades under KMX. Shares fell 10% today, but they've gained 42% in a year outperforming the S&P. What happened with CarMax today? Well, this should be the salad days for CarMax. I mean, used cars are as hot as they have ever been because new cars aren't being created uh, because of the semiconductor shortages and, and other uh, supply chain problems. So used cars are hot. Used car prices are high. And CarMax saw that. They sold a lot of cars, 7%, uh, 67 to be direct, uh, year over year, more cars sold. The average selling price was up 31% the same quarter a year ago to $26,000. But their gross profit margin, their GPU, their gross profit per unit was just $2,185. So $2,200 a car down from the previous year. So just when margins are super high and for everything else in this industry, these guys couldn't collect a lot of margin. And uh, I think it was a little disconcerting for people that follow this company and think if you can't make money now, if you can't make more money now, when are you going to make more money? Um, and, you know, they're spending a lot of money on advertising. They continue to spend a lot of money on advertising, even when they don't have enough cars to sell. The inventory isn't there. Uh, in the conference call this morning, Bill Nash, the CEO, was asked about uh, advertising. And, you know, are you really pleased with this kind of performance? If you're spending so much on advertising, you don't have enough cars to serve your customers, and you can't take a lot of GPU, a lot of uh, uh, gross profit per unit profit for these cars like you would expect you would in these days. Here is Bill Nash. Like the advertising, for uh, example, you know, we're really pleased with the performance of that. 
We saw about a 19% increase in web traffic. Our average flow to our website was about uh, it's a little more than $34 million a month. So that's another example where you feel like the investment's paying off. As far as the second part of your question, the GPU, uh, it's a great question. So, you know, I, I kind of think about we're in a very similar situation today that we were last quarter when we talked about this. You know, we're, we're constantly testing. Um, you know, a couple quarters ago, we talked about doing some broader scale testing just because of some of the other factors, some of the other profit channels that were coming through the organization. And while those still exist, just like last quarter, you know, we really wanted to make sure we, we you got to monitor the macro factors and does it make sense? You got to look at your inventory levels. You got to understand the elasticity, which again, we're still getting the read on elasticity with the, the test that we always have going. Uh, you want to see what competitors are doing. And it just didn't make sense. Um, you know, to 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 deviate more from that historical uh, trend that we have on on margins, and you know, we at the end of the day, we want to have very very competitive, uh, competitively priced inventory. I think with the self sufficiency, that certainly helps. I think going forward, is, is how you should think about the third quarter is probably GPUs more in line with historical uh, averages, just like the the second quarter was. So these guys drawing a lot of traffic, trying to grow their brand, what they're not growing is profit. Uh, and that's disconcerting. I would think that, like I said, this is the time to make some money. Corey, what's, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Workhorse. Workhorse. Workhorse trades under WKHS. Shares have plummeted almost 70% in a year. What's, what's happening here with Workhorse? So this is one of those Kathy Wood stocks, ARK Investments, electric vehicle maker. She likes it. Uh, she likes the sector. She likes the stock. This thing, though, is just one problem after the next. Uh, last we heard from them, they had stopped. Uh, they recalled some truck, recalled the 41 vehicles that they'd already delivered. They suspended delivery of the rest that they were making. They uh, they say that, you know, they described at the time in a press release as enhancements to the production process. Yeah, you don't recall vehicles when they're in need of enhancements. You, need, you recall them typically when they're in need of fixing. Um, uh, so, you know, and... Now we get the news today that both the chief financial officer and the chief operating officer are headed for the exits. This is right after uh, they put a new CEO in just in August. Uh, in fact, it was, a I don't know if you remember the last conference call, it was pretty stunning because they had a CEO who had only been on the call for about, only been in the company for about a week, uh, full of great enthusiasm, Rick Douch was. But what was going on in the company? Yeah, he's like, you know, uh, I've only been here a week. I've only been here a week, but I've done a lot of diligence before I got here. And obviously, I've spent time with the team, both at the factory in Union City and with the engineering team. Uh, we, we have set up uh, the week of August 16th. We're going to go through full vehicle design reviews down to the bill of materials with both our engineering team and our uh, purchasing team. It seems to me at a high level right now, we have zero issues with our electronic and electric powertrain systems. Our vehicles in the field and the vehicles we built are meeting the 100-mile range that's required for about 96% of the vehicles in the commercial vehicle space. We have the ability to flex up to 150 miles if we add two more battery packs on there. Majority of our issues around vehicle dynamics, around chassis systems, those kind of things, payload. Okay, I won't go on those details today. I'd ask for your patience. Give me 90 days and we'll come back with a detailed plan. The good news, at least from an outsider looking in, and now a week of being an insider, is those vehicle, those vehicle dynamic issues are all solvable. We got to get the right engineers working on the right issues, and then get the right suppliers there to help us. Okay, and I would say this team has done a great job 
putting together those designs. We need to do a better job of in involving our, our supplier partners who are the experts in some of the subsystems. And if we do that correctly, I think we can be uh, out to market with a damn good vehicle soon. So what is that 90 days up? So that was, that was from August. Uh, so that we're still got a few more months, but uh, uh, obviously these guys, um, you know, really struggling to figure out who's going to run the ship and what the ship is and can they ship the trucks at all. And, and, uh, and now this with the COO and CFO leaving, they're not even going to replace the COO. This is a, a, maybe it shouldn't be called a workhorse. Maybe it should be called work in progress. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Angio Dynamics. Angio Dynamics trades under ANGO shares jumped 14% today and they've gained 205% in a year. So tell me about Angio Dynamics. So Angio Dynamics, um, interesting company here, reporting quarterly results um, uh, in their in their business, which is selling essentially medical devices used for uh, for surgeries, specifically surgeries around um, vascular surgeries and uh, and cancer. And so, uh, as you mentioned, the stock up quite a bit today. It's got about a nine hundred million dollar market cap now, thanks to that move in the stock today. Uh, there are two businesses: so the endovascular therapy business up about 30% year over year. Their vascular access business was down a little bit. The nano knife business, yes, that's the name of the product. It struggled over time, but lately it's actually doing quite well. First quarter, uh, this is the first quarter they just reported, 34% year over year growth worldwide, 63% in the US. Now this is a, a device, it's essentially, it's tiny electrodes that they put in um, uh, to do tiny, tiny little surgeries. Um, where places where the, the physicians can't otherwise uh, operate successfully. Um, and it's an interesting business. And uh, they said that one of the reasons it did so well is because of COVID. So they did a lot of work uh, in what's known as OBL or an office-based laboratory. And because physicians just couldn't get into hospitals, they couldn't get hospital rooms like they used to because COVID patients were filling every part of a hospital, these office-based labs sometimes saw the first usage of the products from angiodynamics. Well, now that the hospitals are starting to go uh, to open for the doctors, the surgeons are saying, hey, this, uh, this what I saw with these in my OBL, in my office-based lab, I wanna get those tools into the hospital and it's helping their sales. So it's a, a yet another sort of perverse thing that, that COVID has changed with uh, this company actually seeing increased sales thanks to the reopening of hospitals and the success they had in sales into an office-based lab, an OBL spreading to the hospital. Here is the CEO uh, of Angio. You know, I think we told you we launched this last year during COVID. So, you know, out of the gate, our, our OBL mix was probably higher than we had expected it would have been due to the hospital challenges that COVID put on. Uh, and over the course of the last couple you know, months, we've seen the shift go a little bit back, more hospital engagement and probably hospital becoming a larger mix of our portfolio than it had been in the first three quarters of our launch. That's a good sign for us because I think you're also seeing doctors who've used it in the OBL gaining that confidence, now going back to the hospital saying, hey, we wanna get this unique device in the hospital to treat patients here. So really interesting uh, change, you know, COVID uh, helping change the way hospitals sales. You know, I, last time I was in a hospital, I, I saw a sign, you know, in the surgery area saying, no salespeople in here. And it just kind of shows how they are, they, some salespeople must've been in there enough that they had to put up a sign like that. Um, it just shows you how the sales of this stuff is just so crucial to getting it uh, to doctors and to patients. All right, coming up, we've got a really interesting conversation 
about that chip giant AMD. It is not the company that it used to be. Uh, few following it as closely as Huntington National Bank senior analyst David Klink. We're going to talk to him about AMD with the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And the drill is brought to you by Indeed. When you pay for a job site, you should know what you're getting. Get Indeed and only pay for the quality candidates you need, the candidates you must have, and candidates with the must-have requirements. Don't just hope for the perfect candidate. Indeed's hiring tools will help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter with Indeed assessments. You can choose from 135 skill tests to help you make sure you're finding applications with the skills that you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites, and one and a half times more hires than even internal referrals. So join more than three million businesses worldwide who use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And you can get started right now. Drill down listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit upgrade their job posts at indeed.com slash drill down. That's right. $75 credit indeed.com slash drill down. It's indeed.com slash drill down. If you think I'm reading really fast, it's because this thing expires today, September 30. So go to indeed.com slash drill down because terms and conditions apply. All right. Welcome back to the drill down podcast. We're joined right now by Huntington Bank's David Clink to talk to us about AMD uh, advanced micro devices, a company uh, been in Silicon Valley, an important player in Silicon Valley, yeah, David, I wonder how many people still think of AMD as as uh, Intel's redheaded stepchild. It's a very different company now. Yeah, that's been one of the biggest hurdles that the company's had to get over over the past few years is, um, you know, popular perception that AMD is the uh, price competitive, maybe not as technologically advanced company. So what is, what is AMD? Because AMD has sort of been through this, I'm going to call it even a kind of a 10-year turn into a different kind of company. Sure. Uh, in 2006, they bought a, uh, a company that was leading in, or not leading, they were number two in the GPU race, graphical processing units. Uh, a so business they, that used to be dominated by NVIDIA. Right. And it still is dominated to an extent. Um, AMD's kind of there, but AMD's big thing nowadays is the, uh, the CPUs. It's them and Intel kind of in a two horse race. Uh, but Intel has kind of lost its mojo a little bit over the last couple of years. And so AMD has surged to the fore. So not in PCs, but uh, in server chips. Is that right? Uh, well, in both. Um, server is obviously the hottest market right now, and you make the most off a server chip. But AMD leads in both uh, desktop PCs for individuals to use, as well as enterprise uh, server data. And what have they done to get so far ahead of the game? I mean, obviously, Intel's had some management changes. Uh, most notably, Brian Krasanich was forced out after some uh, allegations on, on, the, on the Me Too level. Um, mm-hmm. Not on the Harvey Weinstein level, but you know, <laughs> so there's, there were some allegations about a consensual relationship that he had, a, an extramarital relationship with a, with a uh, junior when you're the CEO. Mm-hmm. Everyone's junior, right? So right. he gets forced out, and the company seems to really suddenly lose its way. Right. So the biggest thing that happened was AMD in 2009 finally gave up the dream that it was going to be able to uh, manufacture the chips that it was designing. And so Intel kind of hung on to that and it worked for a number of years. But eventually the decision that AMD and others in the industry made to have Taiwan Semi make them, uh, that has allowed them to kind of gain lead on Intel. 
Specifically, what chips, are, what, what has been the sort of technological advantage? Because one of the things about, um, you know, I've spent a lot more, I've covered both companies for a very long time, but I've mm-hmm. spent a lot of time with Intel. And one of the things about Intel that you really get struck by is just how far out the planning is, how many years they are working on chemical processes. They, like they sort of need massive breakthroughs in, in what's possible in the world of chemistry in mm-hmm. order to get to their goals that are five years and 10 years out. And it takes them so long to to plan these changes. I'm surprised at AMD. I've I have been surprised to watch AMD kind of swoop in and do things faster. Right, as you as you said, I think for uh, for years Intel had even if they didn't release the newest CPU, they already had it planned. It already existed, and they were just going to release it on kind of that two year cadence. And I think they've uh, borrowed from that about as much as they can. And so this. This advantage that AMD has kind of racked up in the last couple of years, um, that is about a two-year lead, and um, and it would be hard for Intel to quickly close that gap right now um, because, like I said, AMD is using the uh, Taiwan Semi uh, manufacturing processes, whereas Intel, even if they know what to make, they still, like I say, uh, hold on to the dream that they're going to manufacture all those chips themselves, uh, and they have proven... Uh, unable, shall we say, to do that as well as Taiwan Semi. And the last I'll mention of Intel, I expected, but it is still a much bigger company. Intel doing seventy-three billion in sales uh, in the last year, where AMD is at about sixteen billion. Yes, yes, uh, it's it's bigger on the uh, sales front, but I believe uh, in just in terms of size of the company, it's about I don't know somewhere around two to one. It's not that big. Yeah, enterprise value of of Intel is about two hundred and thirty billion, whereas. AMD is about 123 billion. But yes. let's talk about kind of what they're doing right here and where their focus is. Is PC the focus? Is it is it being multiple things inside of a circuit board, both the graphic processor and the center processing unit? No, their focus, they do compete in the GPU market after that, like I said, 2006 purchase. But the key is the central processing units. And that's where they've got the lead on Intel. And the name of the game uh, in semiconductors is how many transistors you can just pack into a little wafer. And so that's referred to by how close together they are. And so AMD is basically able to do that better than Intel at the moment. They're able to put transistors seven nanometers apart and Intel is trying to get them 10. So that doesn't sound like much, but that's a huge multi-billion transistor difference. And that's why Intel's uh, not as fast, basically. Right. A a larger chip consumes more power. A larger Mm -hmm. chip produces more heat. It requires Mm -hmm. more space in the circuit board, but it also, by by using more power, being requiring more heat, requires extra cooling, and everything else sort of uh, slows down and it reduces the capacity of what you can do in a limited space. I also wonder, though, I mean, even as we were trying to log on to this call today this, to record the podcast, you know, you were on an iPad or something mm-hmm. like it. And, I, and these are these are devices that don't have, you know, whether it's the iPad, whether it's the phone, these are devices that are growing in terms of market share for a uh, processing market share, if you will, that don't mm-hmm. use AMD or Intel chips. Right, right. Yes, they, they uh, a lot of the. Uh, con- kind of consumer products, the uh, the smartphones and tablets, stuff like that, uh, tends to be manufactured on the uh, the ARM standard. Uh, you know, NVIDIA is trying to buy ARM right now. ARM tends to have uh, more power efficient chips, whereas AMD is going to have the whiz bang processing ability. But as you said, it's going to get hot. Uh, it needs it needs a cooling system uh, to work, and that's why they're dominating in uh, desktop PCs and servers rather than things like my iPad or phones. 
And where do you expect growth here? You've also haven't mentioned the gaming systems that they're in, which are is probably a substantial business for them. Uh, yeah, it definitely is just by nature of how big the gaming market is. Uh, but there's still uh, a far uh, also ran to both uh, Intel and NVIDIA. And they have made some headway uh, with it's, it's called their Radeon line of GPUs, but they're, they're not quite as good as the NVIDIA's GeForce line. And so uh, they're going to participate in a growing market for graphics, but they're going to be losing just a little bit of share there. There was a time when there was a belief that they were going to have a big role to play in crypto and crypto mining, and they did for mm -hmm. a little while. But NVIDIA kind of seems to command that business in the, in the, in the ASICs chips that can be really programmed exclusively for crypto. Right. Absolutely. They're, uh, they're, um, uh, their graphical chips are much better for, uh, for those calculations for the, the mining. And so even at infinitesimally small differences, huge for miners. And that's why NVIDIA is kind of eating the lunch in crypto. So what do you expect in terms of, you know, trying to figure out what their growth is going forward? Do you look mm -hmm. at the growth rate of PCs? PC sales, of course, have been through the roof uh, because mm -hmm. of the pandemic and because of the change in the growth and, in you know, work at home was really just adding another unit to most mm -hmm. people's life or, or upgrading units. What, what do you see, is, is that the key metric for you to follow an industry-wide thing or is there things within AMD where they can really control their own fate? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's both of those. It's not only the uh, the top line growth of the industry, uh, and that would be driven by not only just the broader economic growth you're seeing, but you would expect that to be a multiple of GDP growth because uh, everything these days requires many more uh, sensors and whatnot. I mean, look at the the automobile um, uh, problems that they're having. Uh, there was a day when you could repair a car with a wrench. Well, not anymore. Uh, and that's really just an example of what you're there seeing. There was never the a day where I economy. could repair, repair a car with a wrench to, oh, be, to, to come me clean neither. here, you know. Some theoretical person could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they're, they're um, a much higher uh, concentration of chips. Also, uh, the stat that's always thrown around is uh, about uh, there's been more data produced in the last like two years than ever before. And something needs to analyze all that for those big data models that power, uh, you know, hey, why don't you buy this product? Or why don't you watch this movie? They're called inference. Um, and so I would look at that. And then also uh, AMD share within uh, that CPU market primarily, are they better than Intel? Is Intel kind of recovering the lead? And we at Huntington don't expect that to happen for many years, even though Intel says it's coming fast. And yet year over year sales growth for this company is expected to really, so I'm not a big, I, I don't, I don't like to play whatever the analysts decide, whatever that nonsense is, because yeah. there are all these games going on and, but there is, it is expected to slow down considerably over the next few years, the, the sales growth. It is. Yes. Just on uh, comparisons alone. But I think in 2020, when things were going gangbusters, I think people understood that that was going to happen mathematically at some point, especially with NVIDIA doing what was 17 billion of sales. Uh, it just slows a little bit. You can't put up that explosive growth, but still very rapid growth. And it, it is remarkable. I mean, I remember uh, talking to Lisa Sue, the CEO of the company, maybe, I don't know, six, eight years ago. And mm -hmm. the stock was still under $10. It's $103 stock right now. Um, it really has seen kind of explosive growth. Yeah, under her watch, it's been incredible. And it's basically uh, between her and Jensen Huang at uh, NVIDIA is always uh, kind of a race of who's going to get more awards in the industry. They've done a fantastic job, both of them. And uh, do, do you buy this notion of the, the you know, and, and when we're talking about that kind of last 12 month growth, right now the number's looking backwards like 75%. Years mm -hmm. out, they're expected to be closer to 15 or less. Do you, that, sure. do you think that's kind of right? 
Well, it's uh, it's kind of like the Bill Gates statement of uh, always overestimating kind of the near term and underestimating what we're going to do in the next five years. And uh, did I say Bill Gross? I'm not Bill Gates. You said but Bill anyway. Gross. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, that but Microsoft yeah, so guy. I, that former that right, Microsoft guy. That guy. Not the one that owns the Clippers. Um, the the other one. Right. Not the one that um, so owns the Trailblazers. The other one. Well, yeah, I guess one. he does yes. do a few things, right? Um, but anyway, so I would expect those long-term growth rates uh, to be a little, a little lacking. And also, you remember that as AMD is able to more efficiently produce these chips, they're cr- climbing up the uh, kind of gross margin ladder uh, with each each chip they really pump out. And so their gross margins right now are in the 40s and best of breed companies are up near 60. And so their profits are probably going to grow even faster than that revenue growth. It'll be one to watch. It's been quite a story these last few years. It's, you know, I think the the focus for people in covering technology 15, 20 years ago was all about the hardware, a little the software, mm-hmm. rarely the end use cases. Now it's completely flipped and people covering technology, the reporters covering it and so on, rarely talk about this world of semiconductors and uh, and uh, the foundational enterprise software. It's all about, you know, the apps, but uh, it all starts right. with the chips. Right. It all starts with that CPU. Yep, absolutely. David Kling, thank you very much for hunting to bank. Appreciate your time. Well, with the drill down bite, we've got one number that means a whole lot. As always, the number is five. Very important to AMD. Why is the number five so important? We'll have that after the break. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you're listening to the Drill Down podcast every day. Find that right spot in your life so you can listen to the show on a daily basis. Maybe it is your first time listening to the show. If you click subscribe and follow us, that way you can catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite. That one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, the number I told you is five. Why? Because AMD has the graphic solution inside of the PlayStation 5. They call it RDNA 2. Ah. It's in the PlayStation 5. Uh, PlayStation 5, again, since I'm, you know, once in a million years, I'll rely on some analyst estimates. Analysts expect 18 million units this year, 34 next year, 50 the year after that. They're talking about about 200 million units during the lifetime for the PlayStation 5 powered by an AMD chip and graphic processing solution. That's going to prove to be a pretty big business for them. I mean, we have yeah. an Xbox house, Isaac, to be clear. We are not a PlayStation house. Ooh, thank you for the full disclosure. And so thank we you. have it. I think there are three Xboxes in the house right now. It's only two, maybe two, wow. too many, but uh, no PlayStations. No PlayStations. Actually, yeah. there's, one in the, there's one in the cabinet now that I think about it, but not a PlayStation 5. Yeah, my kids aren't old enough to we haven't gone down that route yet. I guess I should be playing on a PlayStation, but I'm not. Get ready. Yeah, it's I like my little online time. games. Oh, yeah, I t- totally. Yeah. You've been listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Thank you, Isaac. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. 